0: Friends, our scripture passage this morning comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. Friends, this scripture passage is the second part of what I believe is one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. It's the story of Saul turning into Paul. And if you've been at church for any length of time, you've heard this story probably multiple times. And if you remember, Saul was not a good person. Saul hated Christianity. He hated Christians. He had kind of made it his life's mission to stamp out this movement called Christianity. He had gone to the high priest and he had asked for a letter that would allow him to go into certain cities and hunt down Christians in those cities. And if he found Christians there, he had the authority to throw them into prison. And for many of these Christians, they would stay in prison for a short time. Some of them would stay in prison for a little longer. Some of them were even killed for believing in Jesus. Saul was not a good person. But one day, he's on the way to a city to do those things we had just talked about. He's headed to Damascus to hunt down Christians and throw them into prison. And as he's walking down the road to Damascus, a giant light appears in front of him. And Saul reacted how I think we would react. He was terrified. This light had suddenly appeared, but he gets even more scared because the light begins to talk to him. And the light says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And again, Saul reacts the way I would act. He asks the light, who are you? And the light says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Go on to the city of Damascus and wait for me there. I will tell you what to do. And as soon as he said this, the light vanishes, and Saul realizes he's blind. He is completely blind. He cannot see anything. And the two men who are with him take him by the arms. They lead him into Damascus. They go to a house, and Saul sits in that house for three days completely blind. And that's where our scripture passage picks up, because down the road from the house that Saul is staying in, there's a man named Ananias, And Jesus comes to Ananias in a vision and says, Ananias, I want you to go down the road to this specific house. There's a man called Saul from Tarsus. He's in a house completely blind. I want you to go talk to him. I want you to heal him. And I want you to baptize him. And again, Ananias reacts the way that I think many of us would have reacted. He says, but Lord, I know this man. This man has done very evil things. He's throwing your people into prison. And some of the people that he throws into prison are never coming out. And Jesus says, go. I have great plans for this man. And so Ananias gets up. He does go to the house where Saul is at. He walks in. He talks to Saul. He heals Saul of his blindness. And he baptizes Saul in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the end of this story. And again, we've heard this story. This is one of the more famous stories in the New Testament, and every time, or almost every time that I've heard this story, the person speaking focuses on Saul, who is a bad person, meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, and becoming Paul, a good person that goes on to do great things for God. But this morning, I don't want to focus on Paul. I don't want to focus on Paul. We're going to talk about him a little bit more. But who I want to focus on is this man named Ananias. These 10 verses from our scripture passage are the only time in the Bible we ever hear about Ananias. He seems to just be a simple, ordinary Christian. If we were to make a list of the most important people in the New Testament, Ananias would probably be near the bottom of that list. And yet through him and his faith, God changed the world. What do I mean by that? We all know how important Paul would become. Paul is considered by many to be the most important person after Jesus in the history of Christianity. Paul went on three missionary journeys that helped spread Christianity across the known world of his time through his teaching, his preaching, and his organizing of churches. About half of the New Testament was written by Paul or people that Paul influenced. And yet, where would Paul have been without the faith and courage of Ananias? The faith and courage to do what God called him to do. Go in the name of Jesus to heal Paul, tell him about Jesus, and baptize him. All of the great and extraordinary things that Paul does in his life as a Christian begins with the faith and courage of this simple, ordinary Christian named Ananias. And friends, I believe there are three ways that we are like Ananias, or that we can be like Ananias. First, God told Ananias to tell someone about Jesus. God told Ananias to tell someone about Jesus, and I believe that God tells us to do the same things. God wants us to tell people about Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament, but I believe one of the clearest places we see it is at the end of the book of Matthew in what we call the Great Commission today. Forty days after his resurrection and right before he goes back to heaven, Jesus tells his disciples... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that this call was not just for those 11 disciples present at the Ascension, but also for all Christians that followed them. Just as God told Ananias to tell someone about Jesus, we are called to tell people about Jesus as well. Second, when Ananias was called to tell someone about Jesus, Ananias was scared And just like Ananias, I believe that many Christians, myself included at times, are scared to tell people about Jesus for any number of reasons. And when we are scared, we make excuses as to why we can't tell people about Jesus. Maybe you have made some of the same excuses I have made at times in my life. God, you've got the wrong person. God, someone else would do a better job. God, I don't have the gifts to do that. God, I'm too scared to do that. I've used each and every one of these excuses at times in my life, and I'm sure that many of you have as well. And yet when Ananias speaks his fears to God, God simply says, go. And I believe God says the same thing to us. Even when we don't feel like the right person, even if we think someone else could do a better job, even when we don't think we have the gifts, even when we're scared, I believe God tells us the same thing he told the disciples in the Great Commission and Ananias in our scripture passage today. Go. God has been and will continue to call us to go and tell people about Jesus. And I believe that leads us to the third way that we can be like Ananias. Ananias overcame his fears, placed his faith and trust in God and told someone about Jesus. And friends, so can we. I firmly believe that if we step out in faith to tell someone about Jesus, despite our fears and excuses, God will give us the strength, wisdom, words, and actions to help us do it. A quote that I heard a long time ago that has helped me at many times throughout my life is, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. God calls us all to tell people about Jesus. And I firmly believe that God will help us when we accept this call. So friends, with all that being said, how do we tell people about Jesus in today's world? Again, I want to talk about three ways. First, I believe that we can tell people about Jesus with our words. There will be times when people who know you are a Christian will simply ask you a question about Christianity, your faith, or Jesus. Also, you may be asked at some point why you act differently than other people in some area of your life. And if that answer is because you are a Christian, that might be an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And finally, you might just have moments in your life when you simply feel God telling you to tell someone about Jesus. I sometimes call this a holy nudge from God. When you notice someone in your day-to-day life and you feel an urge or a compulsion inside of you to talk to that person, or you are praying and someone comes to your mind and you feel like you should reach out to them, that could be God telling you to talk to that person about Jesus. So we can tell people about Jesus with our words. But secondly, while we will be called to tell people about Jesus with our words at times, I believe the primary way, one of the primary ways that we can fulfill our call to tell people about Jesus is through our actions. If we are trying to live our lives after the example of Jesus, if we are loving God and loving our neighbors, if we are helping people who need help, treating other people as better than ourselves, we stand out. Or we shine in the world that we live in. And I believe people see Jesus and come to better understand who Jesus is through our actions. So we can tell people about Jesus through our words and also with our actions. And then finally, I believe the simplest and easiest way that we can tell people about Jesus is by inviting them to a place where they will hear all about him every time they walk through the doors. I believe we can tell people about Jesus by inviting them to church. According to Kerry Newhoff, a pastor and well-known author and speaker on Christian leadership, this is his quote, 82% of people say they would come to church if a friend invited them, but only 2% of Christians bother to invite a friend to church. Let me read that again. 82% of people say they would come to church if a friend invited them, but only 2% of percent of christians bother to invite a friend to church i believe that sometimes the best way we can tell someone about jesus is to invite them to a place where they will hear all about him and friends if we do these three things if we tell people about jesus with our words with our actions and by inviting them to church i believe that god can change people's lives through us just like he changed paul's life through ananias so friends we've talked about ananias and paul this morning And we've talked about ways that we can be like Ananias and tell people about Jesus. But what does that look like in action? Let me give you a couple of examples. Many of you have heard the name Max Lucado, a pastor and inspirational Christian author of 84 books, a number of which are on my bookshelf in my office. I love Max Lucado's books. But in one of his books, In the Eye of the Storm, he tells a story about himself as a teenager. A story that took place long before he was a pastor, long before he was an author, and before he was taking the faith he had learned as a child seriously. One summer, he had taken a job laying pipes in an oil field. He writes that one day, the foreman, his boss, came walking up to all the workers, Max included, as they were taking their lunch break. They could all tell that their boss was extremely nervous and definitely out of his comfort zone. And he was stumbling over his words. But this is what Max Lucado remembers him saying. This is his quote. I just wanted to tell you that uh, our church is having a service tonight, and uh, I wanted to invite any of you to come along. Well, that's it. Uh, if any of you want to go, uh, just let me know. And with that, his boss walked away. Lucado said that all the workers that day, for the rest of the day, made fun of their boss relentlessly, and not one person took him up on his offer to go to church that night. But Max Lucado goes on to say that five years later, when he was in college, he was struggling with a decision. He did not like the way his life was going. He felt like the prodigal son and he wanted to return to the faith of his childhood. But he was scared to do that because he was terrified of what people would think of him. It was then that he remembered that boss. He writes these words, that's when I thought of you, As I sat in my dorm room late one night looking for the guts to do what I knew was right, I thought of you. I thought of how your love for God had been greater than your love for your reputation. I thought of how your obedience had been greater than your common sense. I remembered how you had cared more about making disciples than about making a good first impression. And when I thought of you, your memory became my motivation. So I came home. That boss put his faith in God overcame his fears and invited people he barely knew to come to church because he felt like God wanted him to do that. And God used that act five years later to help Max Lucado return to his faith. And Max Lucado has gone on to help millions and millions of people through his books. That boss was an Ananias for Max Lucado. And for a more personal example, I also had an Ananias in my life. And to tell that story, we have to go back to 1996. I'm going to date myself. I was in seventh grade in 1996, the same age as my son Gavin. And middle school for me, like I'm sure it was for many of you, was not a great time in my life. I was picked on a lot. I was bullied a lot in middle school. I had a few friends, but not a lot of friends. And the people in my middle school class had told me things that had become ingrained in me, and I had began to believe about myself. I did not have a high opinion of myself. I did not have high self-esteem. But one day, I was walking between classes, and someone approached me in the hallway. And at that time in my life, if someone approached me in the hallway, it normally did not end well for me. But on that day, it was different. This student came up to me and just handed me a piece of paper, It was a flyer, and he said, hey, my church is having a Wednesday night program tonight. We're going to play some games, we're going to sing some songs, and then someone's going to get up and speak. I would love for you to join me tonight. And with that, he turned around and he walked away. And against everything within me as this shy, introverted kid, I felt something deep inside of me telling me, you've got to go there that night. And so I did. I went home, I asked my parents if they would drive me, they took me, I got out of the car, and I was terrified as I walked through the doors of that church. But when I entered, I was surrounded by a love from the people in that room that I had never experienced at school. I was surrounded by a love of those people. We sang some songs, we played some games, and at the end of the night, someone got up and they spoke about God. They spoke about Jesus, and I heard about this God for the first time that loved me more than I could possibly imagine. This God that did not believe those things my classmates were saying about me, that did not believe what I thought about myself, but instead considered me a masterpiece. I began to believe in God that night. And from that moment on, the dominoes of my life started falling. I went from that church to a Methodist church, to high school, to college, and the dominoes fell, and they fell, and they fell until I'm standing up here today as an associate pastor here at Bluff Park, as a director of children's ministry, as an ordained deacon, as a Christian. But that first domino that fell was a student, sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, I honestly can't remember, that walked up to me in the hallway, took a chance walking up to me in the hallway, because at that time in my life, he could have been made fun of for hanging out with someone like me. But he did it. He invited me to church, and that has completely changed my life. That kid was an Ananias in my life, And friends, I believe many of you probably have similar stories to that, as to why you're sitting here in church today as Christians. Maybe someone invited you to church. Maybe you knew someone who showed you Jesus through their actions, in the way they helped you or someone else, in the way they loved people, in the joy they had, and it made you want to go to church so that you could have whatever that person had. Or maybe you grew up in church, and there was someone special that you remember telling you or teaching you about Jesus at some point in your life and God used that person to help you learn about and believe in God. That person was an Ananias in your life. So to close this morning, I want to encourage us all to do two things this week. First, I want to encourage you to take time this week to think about someone who was an Ananias in your life. And if you are able, send that person a message of some kind this week, letting them know that God used them in your life. It might be just the encouragement that they need this week. And then second, I want to encourage you to spend time this week thinking and praying about how you can be an Ananias in someone else's life. And if while you're praying, God gives you one of those gentle or sometimes not so gentle holy nudges in the direction of a person that God wants you to tell about Jesus, friends, place your faith and trust in God and go and be an Ananias. You never know. God might use you to completely change someone's life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, my name is Kevin Payne, and I'm the senior pastor here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining with us in our podcast of our worship celebration, the sermon this past week. I pray that you found it a blessing and that it enriched your life. If you are ever in our area and would like to join with us in person, we are located at 733 Valley Street here in Hoover, Alabama. Our service time is 10 a.m., and we would love to meet you. I pray you have a blessed week. Hope to see you soon. Bye now.